So hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 77 of Level Up, 60 minutes of live Q&A, where your questions and comments really do drive the show. Please um, let us know your name and whereabouts in the world you're joining from, the city at least, in the chat, because we love to hear from you and get everybody involved with us. Um, also in the chat, you'll find a link to vote up the questions that you would most like answered, and of course, to add your own. We live stream Level Up on Mondays at 8 in the morning and Fridays at 2 p.m. UK time to both YouTube and LinkedIn simultaneously. Now, today, we're going to be talking all about how to become a change leader. Now, this is irrespective, by the way, of where we might happen to be in the hierarchy of our organisations. Leadership is such an important part of achieving a positive outcome during periods of change. So how can you provide the leadership that your colleagues really need and keep true to your organization's values and purpose. Joining us today, we have an experienced panel, so let's jump straight in and meet them. Um, Ian Clarkson rejoins us today. Ian, of course, is the practice director over at QA Limited. Um, Ian's an experienced consultant, trainer, author, and coach who I think it's fair to say has dedicated his professional life to helping others improve their capability in project program and portfolio management. So welcome back in. Lovely to see you. Thanks, Nick. Hello, everyone. Delighted to be back. I'm joining you from Harrogate in the north of the UK, the home of the great Yorkshire show. So um, delighted to be back and um, here's to a great event. <laughs> Fantastic. And if you're unclear what that is, Google it because it's an amazing um and um it's an amazing event and it's the most remarkably eclectic collection of <laughs> um uh local produce, um local uh uh the local rural economy, um the whole way in which the community comes together to celebrate things. So it's a it's a very, very amazing um event to go and see. So very good. Thank you, Ian, for flying the flag uh, for Yorkshire. Douglas Florey um, is on the board of the Association of Change Management Professionals, and he joins us today for his first appearance, actually, on Level Up. Describing himself as a changeologist, Douglas focuses on building great cultures through, I think it's fair to be said, is a human-centred approach to organisational design. So welcome, Douglas. Lovely to see you. Lovely to see you all. Of you and thank you, Nick, and everybody for having me here. I look forward to a great conversation and learning along the way. Okay, excellent. Thanks so much. Rejoining us today is Ron. Ron Lieben, all of the way across there in um, Thailand, I think from memory. Um, he's the founder, of course, and owner of the Highway of Change. He's built up considerable experience in the change management arena over the years. And of course, is a regular contributor as well to Level Up. So it's lovely to see you again, Ron. Welcome back. It seems like it's been ages since I was on the last show, but it is very good to be back. And I've been looking forward to this ever since I was told, yes, you're on. Um, so thank you very much for having me back. And hopefully we'll ask some of the um, really good questions that are coming up. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much indeed. Uh, we'll look forward to that. I'm sure that you will do. John Miller also returns to the panel, panel today. John, you may remember, um, he coaches and assesses project management apprentices up at Leeds City College, also in Yorkshire, here in the UK. Welcome back, John. Lovely to see you. 
Great to be here, Nick, again, and looking forward to all your questions. But please keep your questions coming in because we need lots of questions. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, we certainly do. It's absolutely true. The whole show, of course, is based around the questions that you ask. So it's really lovely to see so many of you joining today, both on YouTube and LinkedIn. So I'm kind of picking up on some of the comments that we already have in the chat there. And I know that Shanice is. Um, online and she's chatting with you in real time as well. So you, you can put your questions directly to the panel um, by having um, uh, an engagement, a conversation with Shanice. All right, very good. Our question master for today is Charlotte Miller, who joins us from here in the Thames Valley in the UK. Welcome, Charlotte. Hi, everybody. Good to be back. Thank you. Okay, very good. And um, uh, uh, you're recovering, I think, a little bit. So still a little bit of a sore throat. And yes, still a little bit hoarse, I'm afraid. I've um, had my first experience of COVID, which was not a pleasant one, I'm afraid. So, yes, okay. very much still in the recovery, but I am negative. All right. Okay. Well, well done um, for shrugging that off. Um, not an easy journey uh, for many people. So um, welcome back. It's really lovely to, um, you know, to, to have you back. Um, so on that note, Charlotte, if we may, can we have our first question, please? You can, Nick. And it's a question from Ron, one of our panellists. Would you say that a change leadership is more of a mindset than a hierarchical position? Okay, so is it more of a mindset rather than a hierarchical um, position? Ian, why don't you start us off on this? Ron, if I may, I'm going to hold you back a little bit until a bit later <laughs> on. Um, but uh, um, yeah, um, start us off, Ian. Let's see how we go. I think it's a bit of both, really, if I'm being honest with you. Certainly kind of my view, it's in, you can give somebody the hierarchy, can't you, in an organisation that might come with that kind of, position of leadership that might come with that kind of um, authority, that doesn't necessarily mean they've got the right mindset to kind of lead change. So I think there's definitely the right mindset. I think there's definitely something there to be open to a change, to be able to kind of be innovative in how we think about change and things like that. But I do think there needs to come some almost kind of like formal authority to help guide that change, which may come from that hierarchical position. So, so I think you need both. I would say there's a bit of both in there as well. Okay, excellent. Thank you so much, Douglas. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I agree with Nick, Nick on, mm -hmm. uh, or I agree with him on that. And I would guess what I would add to that is, you know, so many times as in change management, one of the common themes is we're trying to empower sponsors who may not necessarily be a change leader in their past, or maybe a change agent or a change network group. We're trying to empower them to be our local leaders. So um, I believe it's a skill set that can be taught, but one that um, can also be in a role as well, officially. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. That's absolutely true. Thank you, Douglas. Um, uh, Ron, uh, your thoughts on this? <laughs> My thoughts, I asked the question. The reason I asked the question, really, because um, based on my many years experience um, you know, um, working in change management, I've seen hierarchical um, people 
you know, at the top of the top of the hierarchy who have the right mindset. I've seen people at the top of the hierarchy who don't have the mind, right mindset. But I've also seen people in the operational side of the business um, who have the right mindset. And these are sometimes the people that the operational people will go to for advice, for help, for guidance. And these are actually change leaders as well, but they don't necessarily have that hierarchical position. So yes, it's a bit of both. And I think it depends on the context about which bit it is. Yeah, you make a really, really good point there. Thank you, Ron. And thank you for the for the question as well, because not all leaders um, come with an official label on them. You can't always see them. And in in my experience in, in working as a change management consultant some years ago, um, it was actually the unofficial leaders in the organization, not those with the badge per se, but it was actually those with the social networks, with the influencing skills, with the, with you know the people in an organisation that just know how to get everything done. It was those folks who offered the greatest opportunity for what I would call situational leadership. And um, Douglas, what are your thoughts? And then we'll hear back from Ron. Yeah, I think that's a great point that you both bring up. So I think the influencers—that's what I like to call them. The ones in the office that everybody knows, or maybe not necessarily in the office anymore, <laughs> given where we're trying to figure out how to work, but the people everybody knows and they walk in and they know everybody and they're a trusted authority and they're respected for their opinion and they kind of influence the way the wind blows a little bit. Those can really shape and, and influence the outcome and success. Yeah, absolutely right. Um, Ron and then Ian? Yeah, just very quickly, um, I see change leaders as people like the receptionist, who's the first person you actually see when you go into an organization, because they will have all the information you need and they will lead you in the right direction. Even the security guards, yeah, if you don't know where to go, follow me, I'll show you where to go. These are change leaders, you know, and they don't have to have hierarchical status. Thank you so much. Uh, Ian, your final thoughts? Yeah, it was something um, Douglas mentioned, kind of the role of a sponsor, if you like. And I thought that was quite interesting when I think about that kind of role on projects and that kind of expectation of what they're there to do. And actually, certainly in my experience, often people are put into that particular role as a sponsor because of hierarchy, not because they actually know how to lead the change. Um, and actually, to, to some degree, I think I'd rather flip it the other way and have somebody in that position who can lead the change. And um, it, certainly my experience of working at that level is it's, it's normally somebody who is at the hierarchy, but not necessarily the change management skills. Um, and that can kind of lead to a few challenges on the project or in the initiative because they're not because they're not leading the change they're not driving the change they're not being the change makers that that we need um and i just thought that was kind of an interest an interesting one from douglas around kind of the role of the sponsor in particular because i see that a lot i do see that a lot and that makes a great deal of sense all right well very good well let's move on we'll go straight to our next question um charlotte if we may thanks nick we've got a question from tamira during the change journey, how do you deal with uncertainty or difficult course of direction 
For example, change of client leadership slash vision. All right. Okay. Well, that can that can really put the cat amongst the pigeons. Um, uh, John, why don't you start us off on this one? This is a really difficult one. Um, thanks for the question, though. Um, <laughs> what I would say is that what people once a project started, people have to realise the the time and the cost and the quality implications of major change, because it can absolutely knock the project you were starting up with for six. It, it completely changes the project if there's a major change. And I think people do sometimes suggest change for a very good reason, very well-intentioned, but it can absolutely mess up the original intention behind the project. So it's always challenging back to people and say, do you realize the implication that change would have? I think it's really important. Really good point. Thank you, John. Ron? Um, I think the key here is clarity um, in terms of you had your initial vision, you had your initial, you know, this is where we want to go. This is the change we are going to implement. However, due to certain circumstances that, you know, things have changed, whether it's um, an external problem, a crisis or like COVID or whatever, then you have to, again, re-clarify what your vision is because things have changed. And it's all about transparency and it's all about the right level of communication and it's all about honesty, honesty as well. It's really getting the message out there and giving people the reasons why you're having to change direction. Understand, yeah. understand. Thank you very much indeed. Douglas? Samara, thank you for your question. I think that's a great one. And one that we often encounter is scope. At least that's what I often hear it referred to trying to manage the scope so it doesn't creep and become this or that and avoid those, mitigate those changes as much as possible. One of the things I'd like to offer as maybe a suggestion would be, you know, I think a lot of times we become so focused on status reports and it's red light, yellow light, green, what percentage are we at, those kinds of things. But I find that using like a canvas and reminding everybody like what's our, almost like a project charter, if you will, visualization of what's what's in play, what's going on. And it really helps to keep alignment along the way. And so that if there are new things that are popping up, well, then is it connect already with what we've already discussed and documented? Or is this something new and let's explore it a little bit. But keeping that, that alignment as to what we agreed to our vision and goal is very important. So thank you, Tamara. Yeah, it is a great question, isn't it? It's really getting us into the kind of the meat in the sandwich um, to mix my metaphors from the cats and the pigeons. <laughs> Can't really tell that I'm hungry, can you? Um, Ian, what, you, you, this would never happen, of course, with you because you're, you know, the master of managing the most unpredictable um, projects and programs and so on. But well, in the unlikely event that it was to happen, what would we do? I mean, dare I say change is ubiquitous, isn't it? You know, and I'm not saying that we should expect change to happen on the project, which, because if we did, we'd kind of say, well, what's the point in planning? You know, you know, let's just get on with it and let's just see kind of where the wind takes us. But I think it links back to kind of the previous question from Ron about mindset. And, you know, if we've got that open mindset of, well, we can expect things to change because we live in a changing world. And actually, let's be open to that. Let's be innovative in how we approach it. And um, 
let's keep that communication open. You know, I'm a big fan of always bringing it back to the why are we doing things? And I find with lots of organizations, the, the focus can be on the what and the how, and we lose the, the why or, you know, and what I say to organizations, it, it's very easy to forget you came to drain the swamp when you're busy fighting the crocodiles, you know, and actually bringing it back to that why I think is a kind of really, really important thing to kind of keep people aligned because if things do change hopefully the why you're doing it hasn't changed much if it has then maybe that's a different different problem you're trying to solve yeah absolutely thank you very much indeed ian i mean i i'm going to break this down into two because i think they're related but distinct so the first part of this around is how do you deal with uncertainty okay and um, and this is a very common issue and, and i think early in my career i made the mistake of trying to forecast <laughs> trying to get ahead of myself and sort of give people a false sense of of um security almost by kind of trying to predict the future well that was a hiding to nothing all right so i don't think you can do that nor should you do that what you can do though is you can demonstrate consistency in working the problem and that means, you know, applying and applying and applying and being willing to look at the problem from lots and lots of different directions and lots of different dimensions in order to be able to make progress. So dealing with uncertainty, it's about coping with it and responding to the levels of uncertainty and the levels of risk and the levels of challenge that uncertainty brings. Now, the second part is well i'm going to use that lovely consulting phrase it depends it depends because <laughs> the culture of your organization is going to vary um i worked for many years um, as a consultant and from time to time had the privilege of working with uh different um organizations within uh, the uk military and for them they get a new leader all the time. They're on rotation. So somebody is appointed, they have a certain period of time, the next person comes along, there's a degree of change, but there's also an awful lot which is the same. There's a degree of continuity. And the whole culture of the organization is designed and engineered almost around that frequency, high frequency of change in the leadership. So from that perspective, perhaps not wholly unexpected, but a change in vision is a much different matter and need some careful thought because it could be that the particular project that you're working on ought to be given up in favor of something else. It's not always the case, but there are hard choices sometimes when you're managing a program or project or even a portfolio in considering those things that were super important some time ago but due to a change in circumstances may be less relevant today than some other more pressing and urgent matters. So what a fantastic question to ask a group of people who are involved in change management. So thank you so much, Tamara. Brilliant question. And if you are watching us online, it's time for you to put your questions in to the panel by typing them into the chat, and then we'll pick them up from there and put them to our group straight away for you. And in the meantime, Charlotte, please may we have our next question. We do have a live question um, that's just been submitted, Nick. It's a question from Danielle. Danielle asks, how do you best approach leading change without a dedicated slash official change team at the organization? 
And this is a very common circumstance to find yourself in if you're working at the headquarters or at a um, one of the multiple sites of an organization or if you're working in a smaller organization. It's pretty common, actually, to be facing the change journey and kind of looking around saying, well, where's, where's all this change leadership? <laughs> Who's there? And then you come to the very quick conclusion that it's actually likely to be you. Um, so, John, start us off. What's your thinking here? And then we'll hear from Ron. I think one of the questions is, who can you find that will help you through this journey? And there are different people that you probably know of in each organization who are positive, who are inclusive, who can give you advice on assembling the right team to help through this change and to communicate this change to the wider organization. So I think that the key is finding a right set of people who've got the right set of skills and mix of skills to help with that particular issue effectively and drive that change through. Thank you so much, John. And Ron, your thoughts? I think it comes back to the question about mindset, because, um, you know, though the change leaders who have the right mindset, uh, and I agree with, um, um, sorry, I forgot your name, completely forgot. Um, right. Having the right mindset to find the people with the right mindset is key. Um, because they're the ones that will actually drive the change and pull all the rest of the organization resources that are necessary to drive the change together. Mm. Mm. It's quite it's quite interesting, isn't it? Because in the absence of true visible leadership, several things can, that can happen. You, you, you can kind of walk backwards almost into this um, uh, um, rudderless you know sort of feeling of you know we're just drifting we don't know what's happening we're being kept in the dark and then people's minds start racing you know ahead of where you are and you kind of think badly of what is actually going on and you you start to feel you know some of these um of your own insecurity then starts to surface and you know people start to talk about it and so on and um, or alternatively, you know, that is the very time when somebody steps forward. And um, Ian, your thoughts on this, and then we'll hear from Douglas. Yeah, I was just thinking about kind of what um, John and Ron were saying, you know, and thinking about the question as well. I think if you're in that situation, I'm going to go off on a slight tangent here. I think if you're kind of, if you're in that situation, I think you've got to have strong characteristics of kind of like resilience and persistence as well, you know, to find that person or the right people to to keep going, to keep pushing and to keep nagging, if that's the, for want of a better term, to kind of um to kind of engage with the people that are going to affect the change. And you know, if you're if you're that kind of island, if you like, of trying to do this, having that momentum and drive to keep going to push it through i think is a kind of very understated and kind of very underappreciated um characteristic as well so i think it's a bit about kind of who you are as an individual as well douglas yeah i'm going to say this a little bit tongue-in-cheek but i think one of the most common answers we always hear is well isn't that hr's job all people right <laughs> and the fact of the matter is is change back just because they're in hr doesn't mean that they directly know how to lead or manage change, right? They have to learn it as well as anybody else. 
But my point is to get to Daniel's question is, you know, when you don't necessarily have something, you know, do something almost organically or something that pops up and you don't have a necessary structure or framework, like she's suggesting in her question, in my mind, based upon experiences would be like, okay, what is the challenge or the opportunity here that we're trying to solve for? And then how does that fit into company objectives for this year? And who is it that's maybe driving or leading an objective that this could tie to? And then go to that person and say, hey, what do you think about this? And how does it connect? And then all of a sudden you could get a pool of resources or interest. And then you can, like others have mentioned, bring on those people who have that mindset and that is part of the way they work and go and try and solve it. Yeah, most definitely. I think there's there are always talents in the organization. Over the last couple of years, um, I know our business, uh, we're relatively small in headcount, but we are very spread out all over the world. And we have been discovering all kinds of talents in our wider team that we weren't originally aware of. And just by asking people, <laughs> just by asking people, it's quite interesting. And um, Lots of folks will step forward and they'll step forwards with um, aptitude. They may not always have the experience, but they can well have the aptitude to learn and to help. And so that volunteerism, uh, generally, my experience is everybody wants to help. All right. There are very few people that wake up in the morning want, want, wanting to be awkward. Most people actually genuinely want to do a good job and really do want to help. So they often will step forward. And with that aptitude, you can encourage, you can nurture, you can facilitate, and you can help, and you can introduce them to some folks like these people on the panel who will be able to guide and um, coach a little and point them in the direction of some education and training and so on that could well help. So I would say my experience most recently is do ask for volunteers, Danielle, and every best wish for being in the eye of the storm. If this indeed is about your organization, it might not be, it might be about somebody else's of course, but um, great question. Thank you so much. Charlotte, let's take our next question, please. Nick, we have another live question, and the live question has come in from Kirsten. And Kirsten asks, how would you integrate the change into business as usual? Okay, so th this is a fairly common, you know, kind of uh, frequently asked question. How do we integrate change into BAU? Ian, start us off, please. <laughs> Don't treat them separately. Which sounds contradictory to doing a kind of a change, doesn't it? You know, and kind of embedding it. But by that, I mean, involve them, involve the stakeholders in BAU in in the change in the first place. You know, how many projects have you been on where you've delivered something and then the business goes turns around and says, "What's this?" You know, kind of. You know, I really, that's not really what I wanted. You know, kind of. When we think about a project and we think about kind of benefits realization, we'll only get to that state when that change has been embedded. And, you know, that change now becomes the new kind of modus operandi, if you like, and the new norm. And it's a case of if we're not involving the people who are going to take it on, then, then how are we going to integrate it? So there's a big part of kind of stakeholder engagement and, and recognizing 
the importance of those people that are going to be using it. Um, and often I find there's quite a disconnect or they're kept separately, kept separate, certainly in projects. Thank you very much indeed, Ian. Ron and then Douglas. I, th I think there's two elements to this. I think there's the one element is how big is the change? Is the change going to impact, say, 90% to 100% of the organisation? Or is it just going to be a focused bit of change that just impacts a certain department, say, finance or HR? Okay. So if it's going to impact the whole organisation, then what is business as usual? Business as usual will be what it is after go live. Yeah? Whereas the, in the other, in the other uh, situation where you say, you know, you're just impacting one department or, or two departments or whatever, yes, there is a business as usual activity that sits outside those areas. So in that case, you have to, um, the, previously the word involvement came up and, and, and I use the word involvement time and time again. Yeah, because that is very important of actually involving individuals in the change so they can understand the change and they will pass on their knowledge to their counterparts in the business and then they will become more knowledgeable and therefore the change then starts to motor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an important Sorry. part, isn't it? That whole concept of the pebble in the pool. Really good thinking. Thank you so much. Douglas, final thoughts on this? Yes. Sorry. Yeah, definitely uh, involvement is a key part of that solution. But I think one of the things I like to do when I'm starting off is understand the culture. What is the culture of this company and the, what is their industry or their way of working? So what I mean by that is maybe, you know, if you work in, let's say, a software IT company where it's a software as a service and they're just repeatedly delivering updates, change for them is probably more normal than it is is say a manufacturing company or, or somebody else. So tend to lean toward those things. But I think the other thing is when you're talking about groups where maybe it's less common, I like to use things like analogies to help them understand and storytelling. And so one of the things that I found resonates is talk about like, you know, we all tend to subscribe to like, let's say Netflix or uh, Amazon or something like that. And they're constantly updating their new movies all the time they're not telling you oh by the way you know here's the change manual for the new movies we just gave you right you're constantly adapting to that so using that to help them relate to it and then also embedding the, the dialogue and the, the taxonomy into your conversation and it's very important Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed. Um, some great questions coming in now. Thank you so much, uh, um, Kirsten. Really appreciate uh, your question. I think it might be Kristen, actually, isn't it? Kristen Robin Dagana. I do apologise. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Kristen. Fantastic question. Charlotte, if we may, let's, I can see the questions are really starting to stack up, so we need to pick up the pace a little panel. Let's take our next question, please. Thanks, Nick. We've got a series of live questions next. Um, the next one's from Diane. If you are a change leader in a multinational corporation working with different cultures and languages, how do you effectively manage change? Okay, so this is a real challenge for folks because um, the, the question, the clue is kind of in the question, is that we're not always in omnipresent. <laughs> 
in our across our organisations, and we also we also have um, you, you know a little bit of a prism, a personal prism through which we see the world. So we may be aware of different business cultures, but we're not necessarily expert in picking up on the nuances of them. So I would say one of the things that we need to think about quite carefully is building a network of folks who can help us on that. Um, change journey all right around us so that we're not sitting in a kind of a almost like an ivory tower you know too far away always imagining that you know our view of the world is is shared by others um, across the organization particularly even true um between sites even within one country um we have some folks um who are working in countries which are really enormous and the the culture in a plant or an office on the west coast may be very different to the culture of um an organization as present in say uh the east coast as as an example so um really interesting and a great question ron your thoughts please and then we'll hear from douglas yeah not not necessarily my my thoughts but uh, anecdotally when i first moved over here to southeast asia um, I obviously looked for roles as a change manager and found it very difficult to get a role because I had no experience of Southeast Asian countries. And the culture. Yeah. So I undertook research into culture of different Southeast Asian countries. And the research I undertook was in relation to the, um, the country, cultural dynamics of each country. Uh, here in Southeast Asia, which gave me a very, very good understanding of the different cultures and what drove those different cultures and how that impacted change. And so that was the way I learned <laughs> how to manage change in different countries in multinationals. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Ron. Douglas, your thoughts? Yeah. My thought is an extension of what Ron just offered as well is understanding the differences in culture is very, very important because one one way may happen perhaps here in the States uh, as compared to, let's say, in Asia may be very different. And if I may, I'd like to recommend a book that I think is fantastic. It's uh, by Aaron Meyer. It's The Culture Map. And it really helps you to map and understand the different cultures and the, the ways of approaching and working with each other and she applies some real stories in there and it's a fantastic book i highly recommend that building those relationships will go a long way in in the results as well as you know i also consider in their languages so you know as you're maybe drafting missions or or materials to go out for everybody to use perhaps uh engage or involve as one and everybody Involve people from that locality and help them to make sure you've got a, a localization and translation so it's appropriate when they receive it and they understand the true intent. That's a really good recommendation. Thank you so much, Douglas. We'll um, get that recommendation into the chat. Another good one for you to look at if you're working in a European context um, is by John Mole. Uh, it's a book called Mind Your Manners, and it, it's a 
it's a general excursion actually um, into the range of business cultures that exist and coexist and intermingle and combine and recombine um, across such a small continent of Europe where a tiny journey can take you through two or three countries <laughs> in a single afternoon. So it's very mm. worthwhile um, having a dip into. It's been out for a long time, and um, but well worth it, actually. It's, it's a very accessible easy read um for people so um some great recommendations there thank you very much indeed um panel and what a lovely question let's move on if we can please charlotte we'll take our next question thanks nick <clears throat> excuse me we've got another live question um from a viewer uh, coy asks what is the best tool for tracking the changes so that the project can update quickly and have a better approach to it Ian. You know, I call this kind of like the magpie effect, you know, kind of we go after something nice and shiny and actually I'm, my advice would be don't focus on the tool, focus on what it is that you actually want to report out and the tools and it can help you enable for that. So, and the reason I kind of use magpie analogy is because you can implement a tool and it's kind of like oh right okay now we've got something it's work we must be making progress it's working it's nice and shiny but actually is it going to do what you want you know i've worked with many organizations where they've implemented tools and it's kind of not delivered the the benefit or the progress that they were hoping for so i take it the other way and say what is it that is stopping you doing it now and you know kind of updating quickly work with the team to get the information that you need and use the tool to to, in, to help that don't start with the tool start with what it is that you're trying to do and then find a tool to support that thank you very much indeed john your thoughts yeah i just wanted to add to that to say that when a risk becomes an issue don't ignore it <laughs> a lot of people sort of want it to go away of itself and it never does. So I think it's basically up to it. What, how is this going to impact my project? What do I do about it? What are the options? Talk to colleagues and your managers about it, but try and take a quick decision, but be prepared to review that decision later on. Your early decision might be wrong, but at least you've made a decision. Yeah. Um absolutely right otherwise you get this kind of snowball effect don't you if the, the project is log lagging behind okay what is go actually going on and eventually gets just overtaken by um the business as the problems kind of grow and grow and grow around it becomes ineffectual so it's important to kind of keep on top of that the other thing that i would say is um think about your comms planning uh, carefully think about that uh racy model of who is responsible and who is accountable, who needs to be consulted and who needs to be informed and use that um, you know, vigorously, vigorously, okay? Because not everybody needs to be informed about everything, okay? Nor do they need to be consulted about everything. They just need to be consulted on the stuff that they need to be consulted on. So with that in mind, um, it, you know, uh, it, it's, it's one of those things where I think you'll find the right tool you really will. There are dozens and dozens of tools out there, but to Ian and to John's point, don't don't miss 
where the value is in this. The value is in understanding those big ticket items and being able to filter them and route them accordingly rather than logging them, which is a fairly kind of low-level type thing. So brilliant question, though. Thank you so much, Coy. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, thank you for joining us on YouTube today. Really great to see you there. Do give us a little like on the video. We always welcome that. Charlotte, let's move on. We'll take our next question. Thanks, Nick. We have loads of live questions to get through. The next one is from a live LinkedIn viewer. Should change management be done according to the change readiness of an organization? Change readiness, that wonderful metric of um, how likely is it that an organization is, is actually up for the task that lies ahead. If only we had a crystal ball to be able to tell that with any 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 realism um in my experience sometimes we get optimistic about the level of change readiness in an organization and at other times we we are astounded actually by people's willingness to change and um, the the one thing that i would say is that definitely it definitely influences what you know the pace at which you're able to move forwards and get things done in and uh ron your thoughts please uh, two forms of readiness from, from, from my perspective. There's organization change readiness, which is done initially prior to a project or major change, and that will actually point you in the direction of where the major problems are, where the, where the uh, major uh, pluses are, etc. And yes, it's important because you're going to get a lot of information from your organization change readiness assessment right at the beginning that is going to help you throughout your change initiative. But then there's another sort of readiness, which I call business change readiness, which is a measurement of the readiness of a business for go live from the start of the project through to whenever it's due to finish. And again, it's important to follow that perspective because you need to understand whether the business is going to be ready for the intended go live date. But the, in my experience, unfortunately, not a lot of organizations do the initial organizational change readiness assessment, and then even less do the business readiness assessment. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely fair and true. Um, Ian, your thoughts? For me, there's almost an element of portfolio management, dare I say, in this, you know, kind of understanding the totality of change that is on the books for organizations and and how they're delivering that from a top-down portfolio level and can that go some way to deciding are we ready so you talk about kind of the portfolio strategy in terms of kind of you know kind of what is it that we want to be doing and then we talk about the delivery plan which is when and you know with a good portfolio management approach within an organization that well, for me, it should go some way to helping assess that readiness for change and when it's going to happen. Um, does every organization have a robust portfolio management approach? To be discussed. <laughs> Indeed, <laughs> absolutely. Thank, thank, thank you very much. And if we can solve that problem, everybody, we can retire to a private island. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, everybody. please let me know. I, I would suggest. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Answers on a postcard or even in the chat. Thank you so much. Uh, Charlotte, let's move on. We've got the questions stacking up. We need to cut through them pretty quickly, panel. 
Thanks, Nick. Another live viewer question. How does change management change the organization and who should hold the keynotes? Mm-hmm. This is quite interesting, isn't it? So who, in your comms planning, who would you have delivering those pivotal moments for the wider organization? Because not all of us are born communicators. Some of us may be excellent in our roles of leadership from a, a particular discipline, finance, or, you know, from a, um, uh, uh, an HR perspective, as was mentioned earlier, or sales or so on. But, you know, who should we actually have holding those keynotes? Uh, Douglas, your thoughts. My mind goes to this concept of senders and receivers. So who is it that's delivering the message and what is that message? Um, to, to the question of who should deliver the keynotes, uh, I think at least my approach or recommendation would be twofold. Number is if it's a big enough of a change that everybody needs to know, then that probably should come from somebody that everybody in the company recognizes, understands, should be delivering that message. Perhaps the CEO, the CHRO, or someone that that, that they so designate. But then I think what's also important to understand is that, yeah, that individual may communicate that message at, at the all hands meeting or the keynote uh, delivery or what have you. But I think it's also important to understand that how will the, ma- the managers in the middle be able to deliver that keynote reinforcement of the change? Because we all know that we've all been to those sessions and we go back to our, our desk or we start typing up our manager and we start asking what's going on what what does this mean and how can i help or you know what is this what is what's in it for me essentially we definitely go back to our managers because that's typically the person we most engage with or trust most uh hopefully ideally trust uh so i would make sure that those two people are part of the delivery structure as well Okay, thank you so much indeed. And um, so, you know, from from my perspective, I would say, first of all, it doesn't matter who it is, find somebody in the organization who can really help them, all right, and coach them up. Because if it's a big change, then this is going to need some storytelling around it, all right, to get it constructed right and to read that back and to play that back to folks in a proper and constructive way. We're going to hear from Ron um, in a moment, but um, um, really help them out here, really help them build those strong stories and engage with those key individuals to Douglas's point who are going to have to cascade this and interpret it and um, evolve that story a little bit further. So I do think there, there isn't, there is something in it for being able to do that really well in an organization. Ron, your experience? Yeah, just a very quick one. I found some interesting research the other day, um, while I had nothing better to do, (laughs) where it said that 75% of stakeholders would prefer communication from the C-suite or very senior managers regarding organizational issues, whereas 70% of stakeholders said that they would prefer messages from middle managers related to personal change, which is quite an interesting bit of um, um, statistic. It's a 
Yeah, it's a great insight, isn't it, as to how we might, you know, kind of look at that. And um, I'm sure that that will also be conditioned from our own experience as well um, that we draw on. Thank you very much indeed, Charlotte. Um, let's take the next question. Thanks, Nick. We've got um, a new, sorry, another live question from, from Nadia. What do you think is the most common mistake that people make when managing change? Mm, that's a really great question, Nadia. And I think the insight that you're sharing here um, is, is first-hand lived through, first-hand experience. Um, John, let's get your thoughts. Common mistakes. I think the most common one is to uh, give responsibility for just one section of, a, of an organisation to manage the whole change if it affects the whole organisation. Um, a lot of functional structures are siloed. And people aren't used to talking to each other across the silos. So if you have one of them, you need to create a cross-functional team to manage a big change. You you can't just isolate it in one team. That would be my big mistake, I think. Okay, excellent advice. Thank you very much um, indeed, John. The other thing that I would add to that is just simply that um, you know people make the mistake of 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 saying that you know people don't like change i i fundamentally disagree with that um i think what people lament is loss and there's a big difference there yes. so just think about that for a little bit you know if you're facing a part of your organization a team in your organization so on highly demotivational um if they perceive the change as loss so you really do need to think about that fundamental key question what is in it for them but brilliant question Nadia thank you so much I think you need to come on a panel <laughs> so that we can explore that a little bit more with you as well and um, that would be fantastic um, Charlotte next question please thanks Nick we've got a question from Lee Mason Lee asks how do you separate change management from business evolution of cultures I think the two are intrinsically woven together. As things change, then your culture needs to evolve. As your culture evolves, then things will change. Now, I suppose the challenge for all of us, given that management is a verb, <laughs> we want to be able to do something. So we want to change things for the better. You know, so make sure that your change is aligned to your strategy, your vision, mission. And increasingly these days, the concept of purpose in an organization is a really valuable one to be able to explore. In the absence of your organization, would the world be any different? Would it be any better? Or would it be any worse? What's the purpose that your organization actually has? Ron, your thoughts, how do you separate change management or even should you from business evolution? <laughs> it's difficult because, um, I mean, the traditional thinking around culture is that organizational culture is one homogenous entity yeah but again um going back to some research i found a while back by the oxford review briefing um they found that um people actually fit in to cultures in relation to the way they are culturally at home the way they are culturally in a in a uh, personal group or the way they are culturally at work so at work you can have a number of different cultures. And we all know Edgar Schein's three levels of culture. Um, that seems to be no longer the case because you have elements of culture within an organisation. So it's quite difficult to actually 
um, how can I put it, suss out for want of a better phrase, <laughs> find out what level of culture, what, what the culture is of a specific part of an organization to enable you to manage change within that part of the organization. So you're looking at separate cultures all the time. Thanks. Douglas? Yeah, I, I agree with what you had to offer there. It's very hard to differentiate. They're both kind of related. But I think the thing that I would like to share is, you know, in today's era, we hear so much about digital change automation. And that seems to be like the, the key trend, if you will, within change management. But there's also obviously other types. In addition to digital transformation, there's also culture change. And there's also policy change or organizational design, so many other things. All of those, I would suggest that cultural change is maybe the hardest just because, it, A, you're dealing with people and it takes a while for them to, to deal with the loss of, or the change as alluded to before. But seeing the results of the culture change over can take time and you got to have balance and diligence to make sure that everybody is uh, modeling and exhibiting that new culture. Thank you very much, Ian. That's a great question. I've been reading it many times and I keep coming back to that word evolution in the question and that kind of almost like implication that it's almost like incremental, it's evolving over time. Was when I read change management, does that have a connotation of more transformational change, maybe? So is this about transformational change versus incremental evolutionary change because they're quite different aren't they so if we're thinking about a project or you know if we're not thinking kind of agile but maybe more waterfall there's almost that kind of transformation okay stop doing what we're doing now and now start doing this you know that can be quite disruptive it can quite a big transformation versus the you know kind of the evolution over time or going back to kind of the pond you know kind of is change management like transformation like throwing a massive boulder in a pond and the evolution of business cultures is like dropping a pebble and seeing the ripples go out um interestingly I, I for me i wonder whether it is about transformation versus evolution okay well i, I think what we'll do in is we may ask lee to come back to us either in the chat now we're going to run out of time today lee but we'd be fascinated to continue the discussion um, with you, all right? And I know that we've got other events coming up soon that deal with this uh, continuum. All right, very good. Charlotte, next question, please. Thanks, Nick. We have another live question from Yasmin. What are some engagement tactics that you have seen being, <clears throat> be successful with blue-collar workforce? What do you believe drives buy-in with blue-collar workforce? Okay, excellent question here. One of the things about living and working in Europe has been um, how uh, what an amazing um, invention workers' councils have been. I think they, they really revolutionised um, industrial relations over many, many years. At first, they were seen, I, I think, with a little bit of scepticism, um, certainly by people watching in the UK. But having seen them in action firsthand and having been involved with transformational change in process manufacturers around the world, um, I've seen firsthand how that kind of level of engagement really does work very, very well. It's fantastic talent on the shop floor, 
There's amazing people and you'd be astonished how many practical problems can be solved um, by just engaging in the right way. John and then Ron. Just very quickly, I, I just thought it, it's really helpful for a CEO or a senior manager to come to team meetings and just talk about how the business is going every now and again hmm. and take questions. And if possible, show people how to read a balance sheet and show people what the strategy is all about. Because if people understand where you're going as an organization, it unlocks their ideas as to say, well, if that's what you want to do, this is how we can help you get there. But if you don't do that, if you don't engage in that way, people will feel inhibited from doing that. Great advice. Thank you so much, Ron. And then Douglas. Yeah. I'm a great believer in the use of change agents at a certain level, and uh, depending on the project or the initiative, um, it depends on the level you use them. But I've actually used them at sort of um, not completely senior management level, but just below that. And I find that using change agents that are responsible for a certain part of the business impacted business and for them to actually be the conduit into the business um, works really really well because at least what you have is you have that continuity from senior management down to you know second level of management then down to the blue collar workers and um, it works as well if you have change agents from the operational side of the business as well it works very well but certainly Having change agents who are responsible, who have certain roles and responsibilities within the framework of the, pro the project is, is a, um, a very good tactic from my, from my perspective. Thank you very much, Douglas. Yeah, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to offer three words really quick. And two of them we've already said. One is involvement, is ask. I think if you can do those two things with the blue-collar workforce, you will go a long way. It will, will help you uh, as the third word I will suggest in, in the suggestion. My experience tells me that you don't have trust with that workforce, especially they're not going to follow you and uh, you're not going to go very far, no matter what your level of expertise and change may be. Yeah, I, com I completely agree with that. You need to speak from the heart. You need to follow John's guidance and um, you know, just explain stuff. All right. And, uh, you know, be open to do that. And I know that many CC people feel somehow or another that their diary is too crowded sometimes to be able to make the time. But that time is a golden time. It makes all of the difference, you know, to running a business. You want to be you're in the C-suite because you want to be running the business. Well, run the business then, you know. Um, very good. Excellent. All right. Thank you very much. Um, last question, Charlotte, please, as we're running out of time today. Thanks, <clears throat> Nick. Sorry. Uh, it's another live question from Diane. How do you encourage buy-in from by stakeholders to the change and the change management process? Okay. So um, how do we encourage buy-in from our stakeholders to the change itself? John and then Ian. Very quickly, I would just say right at the start, identify who your stakeholders are. This seems very straightforward, but Often you ignore people like pressure groups, environmental interests, other people who have a stake, have an interest in your project being either going ahead or not going ahead. If you don't know who they are, how are you going to engage with them right at the start? That's me. Great, great advice. Thanks very much indeed, John. Ian? Um, 
visibility transparency and regular communication you know kind of um making making the change visible maybe even having some kind of dashboard maybe that kind of says kind of what all the different metrics and how progress is coming along and think so everything's transparent and then keeping it regularly communicated and keeping it regularly up to date i think there's a lot in um just giving that information available to people Thank you very much indeed. And of course, it's all about engagement with stakeholders um, rather than management. So it's a different word. So have a little think about how that might work for you and your organisation. Very good. Well, look, what a fantastic exchange of ideas we've had. I've learned so much um, this afternoon in this last 60 minutes. So thank you, everybody who is online, who's been putting in the questions to the panel. Just a great job. You are our producers. It's your questions that really do drive the show. Closing remarks then on today's event. Um, Ian, if I can come to you first and then we'll hear from Ron. Yeah, I think change is hard. And, you know, let's face into that. And if we recognise mm -hmm. that change is hard, then we know kind of what we're, what we're trying to achieve, I think. And that's kind of my, my kind of sentiment, but in a positive way. Thank you. <laughs> always positive, always uplifting. Thank you so much, um, Ian. Really appreciate it. Ron and then Douglas. Yeah, very quickly. Um, one of the one of the questions, I think we sort of skirted around it a bit, the difference between change management and change leadership. Let me quote you, um, John Cotter. We all know who John Cotter is. Uh, change management is a set of processes, tools and mechanisms that are designed as a way of making a big change and keeping it, in a sense, under control. On the other hand, change leadership is associated with putting an engine on the whole change process and making it go faster, smarter, and more efficiently. End of. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's always nice to hear a quote as well. So thank you very much indeed, Ron. I'll add that to my little collection. Douglas and then John. Yeah, I would just like to say, hey, thank you so much to participated here. And I really enjoyed this experience of being with you and learning. Uh, whether it was about pigeons and cats or swamps and, and crocodile fighting, change management is a topic that we could talk about in so much different uh, angles, ways of working remote or in the office, whatever. Uh, I really enjoyed this. And thank you so much. Yeah, I completely agree. Thank you so much, Douglas. Um, great fun as well. John and then Charlotte. Just to say, I've, I've noticed that a lot of job titles are managerial, project manager, change manager, but we all need to be both leaders and managers at appropriate times. To take Ron's point, you know, that the person that greets you as you go into an organization can just be as leader as a manager. So let's not get inhibited by the, the title we've been given about change. Absolutely, absolutely. What great advice. Thank you so much, John. You always bring that voice of common sense into every discussion that we have and really hit the nail on the head. Thanks so much. Charlotte, closing remarks for today. Thank you, Nick. And thank you to our panel and more importantly to our audience who have submitted such fabulous questions. We can't provide the answers and the panelists can't give the information that they do without the questions that are submitted. Amazing. Thank you to our participants and our panelists. Okay, absolutely. First class job, everybody. Thanks so much, Charlotte, for navigating your way through all of the different questions and getting us um, pretty much uh, to finish on time. 
Um, so very well done with all of that. Not an easy task. And of course, to our team on social media, I think that Shanice Mitchell-Cox today, uh, her fingers are going to need a little bit of a cooling you know, water run over them as she's been keyboarding so quickly. Now then, everybody, what's coming up next? Well, on our website, as you probably know now, you can search for answers to more than 1,100 questions, which is a comprehensive free resource connecting you with more than 140 experts from around the world. Don't forget, you can also listen to us to the audio versions of the shows on your preferred podcast platform. Now, we've hit several milestones recently, um, and one of them is the growing number of downloads that we have on the podcast uh, format, which is really, really great to hear. So thank you so much for everybody for subscribing to that. What's coming up next on Level Up? Well, on Monday, we're going to explore the world of becoming a business relationship manager, another role which is growing in popularity and becoming greater, more and more clear, rather, um, in different organizations and more recognized as a distinct and valuable contribution to the overall team effort. Friday the 22nd, we move on to look at digital leadership before considering service management on Monday the 25th. Subscribe to the show and we'll send you a personal summary of what's coming up and how you too can join us here on the panel and of course, level up your career with APMG. Thanks very much indeed, everybody. We'll see you next time.